So the title of the sermon today is Peace and Rest. And one point I want to make is, on a personal note, I lose my own peace and my own rest in the Lord if I neglect prayer, if I neglect his word, if I neglect fellowship and communion with the Lord. And I think that's something that every Christian, whether you're in ministry or not, in this day and age, has to be very careful of and realize and must realize that that's a struggle that we're all going to have. The reason is we live in a hyper busy society and God speaks to us and speaks to us in a still small voice. We must step out of the world, have times of quiet and strive to commune with the Lord, to be in his word, to be in prayer. And I will give a warning on as far as that goes as well. Because what do we see all through the Old Testament? Idolatry. And it's very easy in the times in which we live to make an, an idol of our projects, our work, even our ministry, and neglect the things that we should be paying attention to, which is our time with Christ, meditating on him, striving to be conformed to his image, studying his word, being in prayer. And the reason I say that's a warning is because you have to look at your life and think, am I placing work above my time of prayer and devotion of Bible study? Am I too busy? Am I starting to push those things away? If you are, those things, your work is becoming an idol. You need to get back to making your time with Christ your first priority. I think it was Martin Luther. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was Martin Luther or someone during the Reformation talked about a, a day they were facing that was incredibly busy. They had so much to take care of. And they said, I must. So, so because of this, I must set aside more time for prayer and communion with the Lord, push away the other things. And that's how we have to look at that. Um, we're living through a chaotic, restless and confusing time. And the question that we're trying to answer today with this sermon is, can we find peace, peace and rest amid such conditions culturally that we're living in right now. And I'm being contacted by Christians constantly who are just absolutely pressed down and depressed because of what's going on in the world. And we don't have to be that way. And I understand, you know, um, it can be frustrating, especially when you see the level of uh, deception that is taking place on a societal level and all across the world and, and so many people falling for it. And you can see that it's error and you want to help people come out of that. But when you do, you're attacked because of it. So um, can we have peace amid such conditions? And I think you already know the answer to that question is yes. Uh, let's look at the first verse for today. I'll make this a little bit bigger for you guys. And that is Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to delve into this truth more as we go through this message today. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want you to consider what an awesome blessing it is to rest in the Lord's work of salvation for us, for the elect, to rest from the guilt of sin, to surrender the false idea that we can earn any sort of righteousness for ourselves in God's eyes, to rest in the amazing and liberating truth of Christ's imputed righteousness to believers, to rest vibrantly and actively in faithful obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can you rest and be vibrant 
and active. Christians understand that. Resting in the Lord gives us energy. It's that rivers of living water pouring through us. So when we are in Christ and we are resting in him, that's when our true, meaningful, fruitful works pour forth. That's what it is to rest in Jesus Christ. Now, with those things being said, consider what a horrendous crime it is that so many are held in bondage to works for a salvation that is impossible to earn or achieve. So many in this world, and it's been this way since the beginning of time, that think they can earn their way to heaven. They can earn their way to being reconciled to their creator. And that is a burden that so many carry, and it's futile. There's no way we can earn our way to heaven or that we can earn our way into being reconciled to God, our creator. And what an insult it is to deny the efficacy and the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ, because that's what you're doing. If you're relying on works, if you're trying to earn your way into heaven, if you're trying to be reconciled to God by your own power, by your own works, you're rejecting the effectiveness of the atoning sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. So what's the opposite of a works-based humanistic salvation, which is what I just referred to? When you're looking at, at the thinking that there's the ability within humans to fix ourselves, that the answer lies within us, which is just not true. What is the opposite of that? And David coins it perfectly in Psalm 511, where he says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them that those who love your name may exalt in you. So just think of the futility of trying to earn your own salvation, the burden that that places on someone's shoulders, the horror that you go through every time you fail or every time something happens to you that you don't understand. Like they say, you know, there's, uh, there's no atheist in foxholes because when you're put in a life and death situation, the most staunch atheist in history will call out to God when their very existence is threatened. But for believers, we take refuge in the Lord. And because we take refuge in him, we're in a state of gladness or joy. And let them ever sing for joy. We're always in a joyful state. And it says, may you shelter them. So we take refuge in the Lord. He shelters us from the things of this world that strive to destroy us, that those who love your name may exalt in you. So we live in a state in which we're exalting the Lord because we take refuge in him, because he protects us and cares for us and guides us. So you're starting to see that contrast between believers and the world that I talk about so much. And this is why I love Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Believers, are not to be conformed to this world. Now, that's a command, but it's also a blessing. Who wants to be conformed to this world? If you look at what's going on in the world right now, why would you ever want to be conformed to that? It's absolute insanity. What's happening? Now, why do we have peace with God? We have these blessings. We have peace with God that's beyond our ability, that's beyond our understanding. It's a supernatural blessing. But why do Christians... Why do believers 
who were dead in their sins and trespasses and rebellion against God, why do we have peace with God? And that's answered in Romans 5.1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice Paul starts with the word therefore. And whenever Paul does that, obviously, he has already stated an argument. And he's saying, because of these facts, because of these truths, therefore, we have been justified by, pay, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was Paul referring to when he said, therefore? Let's look at his previous teachings in Romans chapter 4 that led up to this therefore. And, and let's look at these verses here on the screen. In Romans 4, 7 through 8, Paul said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. If you're not forgiven for your sin, if you're still in condemnation, there is no way to have true peace. There is no way to have true joy. There is no way to rest. Because your destiny is condemnation, separation from God, and eternal suffering in hell, away from the presence of God. But those that are in Christ can say, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That's why we have peace. Romans 4.16, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's talking about the elect Gentiles. He's talking about those I'm preaching to today, myself, who are not born into the Jewish faith that are brought into the tribe of Israel, by faith in, in Abraham. And what he tells us in the book of Ephesians is that, and, and in the book of Romans, I believe, is that the true Israel are the spiritual children of Abraham, not the physical seed. You see? And that's what Paul's referring to here. Those that are the true children of Abraham are children of his because they have faith in Jesus Christ. We are the descendants of Abraham. And because of that, our lawless deeds have been forgiven. Our sins have been covered. The Lord will not take our sins into account. Romans 4, 22 through 25. Therefore, it was also credited to, him, credited to him, referring to Abraham as righteousness. What was credited to him? Faith. Because he had faith in the coming Messiah. So it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. These are the reasons we celebrate. These are the reasons we are joyful and we rest and have peace in Jesus Christ because the, the burden of sin has been taken away from us through Jesus Christ. Let's look at this more closely. Justified by faith. What does that mean? The Christian Standard Bible says, since we have been declared righteous by faith. So what's the opposite of righteousness? Rebellion and sin. Righteousness is only in God. God epitomizes righteousness. 
We have no righteousness of our own. Paul wrote that. So what we're talking about here is a legal declaration. We have broken God's law. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are under the, 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 the sentence of death. We are condemned because of our sins and trespasses, but we are declared legally righteous in Jesus Christ. And we are justified by faith because we have faith in him. By faith, which is a gift by grace of God given to believers. This is a mistake that, that, that young believers might often make, thinking that faith is something that we can develop, that we can nurture, that is of us. Even the faith that we have that saves us is not of us. It is a gift of God's grace, enabling us to believe in, trust in, and place our faith in Jesus Christ. The definition of justified is to render just or innocent, declared righteous, so we are declared righteous, we are justified. And the importance of understanding Christian justification and Christian righteousness is the righteousness that we have is imputed to us by Jesus Christ. He transfers it to us, covers us with it. But because we are justified, there is no taint of our sin remaining. Why? Because God sees believers in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. So sin is gone taken away from us completely. Therefore, we are justified in Christ before the Father. So we're declared righteous in spite of sin, rebellion, depravity, and a deceitful heart. In spite of the truth that we deserve condemnation and God's wrath. That is the natural condition of sinners until they come to Christ. That there is nothing in us deserving of mercy, grace, and love. We are justified by faith through grace. We are declared righteous through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He became sin for us so that we may be justified and declared righteous in him. Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have peace with God, we are reconciled to God. We are at rest with God and in God. Some heavy Christian theology here, but such a beautiful message for us to consider and meditate on and to think about in the times in which we live. If you want to be at peace, if you want to be at rest, in spite of what's going on around you, these are the things you meditate on. These are the things you consider. If you don't have these things, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. But you better consider the ramifications of not being in Jesus Christ. And, and pray to the, that the Lord would open your heart to understand these truths. That's the importance of the gospel message. So what we're dealing, what we're understanding here is the fact that the great dilemma is solved. And the great dilemma is the fact that because we are dead in our sins and trespasses, we cannot reconcile ourselves to our creator. We can do nothing to provide forgiveness for ourselves and be reconciled to God. Really, because we are finite and God is infinite. When you sin against an infinite creator who is holy and perfect and loving and merciful, when we sin against him, we're making an eternal transgression. We're a finite creature. We can never atone for what we have done in breaking God's law. So all have broken God's law and we've sinned against him. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No human being that ever walked this earth was free from sin except one, and that was Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. 
which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Every human being has broken just about every, has, has committed just about every sin that Paul lists here. It's just the way it is. You see? So when we're in Christ, and we have peace with God because of Christ, because of the faith that we have in him, I want you to think about these things. If we're in Christ, the fear of God's wrath is gone. We don't have to worry about what happens when we leave this this physical existence. The fear of God's wrath is gone. We don't have to worry about judgment day. Like it says in the Bible, on judgment day, when Christ appears, every knee will bow. Those that are in Christ will bow in honor and love and humility before him. Those that are not in Christ will bow. Every knee, every head will bow. Every, every person will bow in horror because they know that they've rejected their only way of being saved from their condemnation, from being saved from the sin. And now they have to pay the penalty that they deserve. Our fear of death is gone because we're going to someplace better if we're in Christ. Our eternal security is assured. If you are in Christ, he will never let you go. He says, not one of my sheep will perish. His sheep know his voice. They come to him and he will bring them to eternal salvation. We can rest in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid our penalty for sin on the cross. We rest in the fact that we don't have to worry about these things anymore. You see, that's the beauty of this. We don't have to worry about what happens when we die. Are we saved? We don't have to be burdened by the guilt of all the sin that's built up over our life because we rest in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid our penalty for sin on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and this uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So many struggle with the weight of sin in their life previously. I talk to people who still struggle from the guilt of sin that happened years before, but they they claim to be Christian believers. Folks, if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what you have done before. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. Repent of those sins. Confess those sins to the Lord. Place your trust and your faith in him and you are washed clean of it. He nailed the penalty for those sins to the cross. He took them out of the way. So if you are still obsessing on those sins, you're still concerned about the penalty of those sins, that's really sinful because you have to realize that Christ took it away. You see? We can rest in the promise of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We can rest in the assurance that the Lord cares for and watches over those who are his. So we know that our salvation is assured. We know our sins are forgiven. 
And we know as we move through our life that he cares for and watches over those who are his. So regardless of what's going on in the world around us, we know that the Lord's hand is on us and guiding us and protecting us and caring for us. And again, so many Christians nowadays are so worried about their condition in the world, trying to build up for a better tomorrow, consumed with the idea that they've got to work harder and harder and harder to make sure everything's taken care of. That is not the frame of mind that a Christian believer should have. Sorry. Psalm 127.2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. That is such an important portion of scripture for modern believers to pay attention to. Regardless of how hard we work, regardless of how much we plan, regardless of how smart we are and how great we are, we think we are at business or work, whatever it is, everything that we have comes from the hand of God. And if we're looking to him first, if he's our first priority, like I talked about at the beginning, if our first priority is being devoted to him, abiding in him, abiding in his word, striving to be conformed to his image, and then everything else is subordinate to that, he gives to us even while we sleep. What he's telling us is he blesses us beyond our own power. So I'm not saying be lazy. Do your work as if it's to the Lord. That's what we're told to do. We're told to do everything as if, as if we're doing it for the Lord. So we work with passion. We work with zeal. We work with fervency. But all of that work is subordinate to our relationship with Jesus Christ, making sure that we are resting and we're at peace in him before we move forward in our work. Let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Jesus tells us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So now we get a picture. Christ gives us a picture of the Christian life. He tells us the peace. He gives us a picture of the peace and the rest that we have in him. Spurgeon says, uh, regarding these verses, Charles Spurgeon says, when we have obtained the rest he gives, we will be ready to hear of a further rest that we find. We shall not only rest from the guilt of sin that he gives us, but we shall rest in the peace of holiness, which we find through obedience to him. So we rest because we're forgiven. We rest because we have victory over sin. We rest because we're forgiven for our sins, and we rest in the fact that knowing that as we move through our life, everything will be blessed and taken care of by God, and we rest in the fact that eternally we know we're going to be with the Lord, that our salvation is assured. So come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So who are the weary and heavy laden or burdened? Folks, go walk around in a store. It's depressing right now. You see all these people walking around like zombies. They've got masks on. You don't see anybody smiling at each other anymore. You don't see anybody hugging. I mean, rarely do anybody hugging each other. What is going on in the world is, is such an attack on the sense of individuality and such an attack 
on the psyche of people and the spirit of people, that it's reflected in the way that they look when they walk around. The world literally is a place of weariness, people being heavy, heavily laden, and people that are burdened. It doesn't have to be that way. We're not conformed to the world. We don't live like that as believers. You see? So who are the weary and heavy laden or burdened? It's those that are weighed down by the concerns and the fears and the angers of this world, the lies of this world. It's the, also the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how can you be blessed if you're weary and heavy laden and burdened and you're poor in spirit? Because if you're poor in spirit, you realize the things that I was talking about earlier, that you have no righteousness of your own. You're not deserving of forgiveness. There's no way you can be reconciled to your creator. You're spiritually bankrupt. That is the condition of blessing because that is when you start looking to Christ and realizing that I have nothing, but I can have everything in him. You see, that's why it's a blessing to be poor in spirit. Who are the, the weary and heavy laden or burdened? Those whose sin and depravity is always before their eyes. Those weighed down on the, under the wearisome burden of sin. Those weighed down under the wearisome burden of atoning works, trying to earn their way into heaven. Those weighed down under the under the wearisome and futile burden of salvation by works. Those who are worn out and worn down by the world. That's what we see so much now. Those whose spirit is depleted and drained through separation from the life that is only found in Jesus Christ. People that aren't in Jesus Christ, especially in times like these, you see them. They're just burdened, worn out, and they're getting tired. But as believers, we can always tell ourselves, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like I said, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We know the way through. We know the truth, and we know that there's life in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to be affected by what's going on around us. Then he says, and I will give you rest. He will give you rest from all the things I just talked about, from that burden, from that concern, from that worry and that fear from all the things that sin spawns. He gives us rest from that. We surrender it all at the foot of the cross. We take all that garbage to the foot of the cross. We look only to, the, to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We trust in him and we rest in him. Praise the Lord. And folks, this is a gospel truth that the enemy hates. The enemy strives to steal our joy to disturb our rest, to disrupt our peace. You know, yesterday somebody posted something I saw and it was, it was in a village in Africa. I think it was in Uganda or, or somewhere in Africa. And they said these people were giving the devil and his demons a whooping. And these villages were hit, hitting the ground with sticks and clubs dust was flying up and they were all chanting and they were hitting the ground. It said they were giving the devil and his demons a whooping. I thought, no, they're not. They're hitting the ground with sticks and clubs and they're making a bunch of dust and they're wearing themselves out. If you want to give the devil and his demons a whooping, if you want to kick the butt of Satan, how do you do it? The gospel. You preach the gospel prayerfully, 
and passionately with zeal and fervency. Whenever you're preaching the gospel, whether it's to yourself or it's to others through witnessing, whenever the gospel goes forth, it is pounding Satan. You see? But those people were still lost in their sins and trespasses. Obviously, they couldn't be Christian believers or they would have never done such a thing. They would have never thought such a thing had an effect. If they wanted to, to beat up Satan, you do it through the proclamation of the gospel, not through sticks hitting the ground. But, uh, but what interested me in seeing that is it was sort of a symbol. It was symbolic of what so many here in America do. They're trying to defeat Satan. They're trying to, de to, to defeat the influence of him on their lives. But the only way to do that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is through placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's the one thing they don't do. So they might as well just walk around hitting the ground with sticks and clubs. You see? It's insane. James 4, 7 also answers that. Blessed are, the, uh, I missed a verse here, I'm sorry. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you submit yourself to the Lord. You place your, place your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. You resist what the devil's trying to do and he will flee from you. He doesn't want to be where Christ is. That's how you beat up Satan. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now this seems to contradict the promise of the rest of verse 28, a, a, a yoke brings to mind work and bearing a burden. So Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But he says, take my yoke upon you. You're, you're picturing something heavy being put, put on your neck. But this is another one of those Christian paradoxes. The yoke that we take on in Christ, the burden that we take on, taking up our cross daily and following him, is light. It's a joy. And we look forward to it. It's the, perf it's the most important work you can do. So the Lord's burden is not weighing us down. It's giving us energy. It's filling us with his energy. You see? Again, like I said, it's a Christian paradox. And he says, learn from me. When he says, learn from me, he's telling us, strive to be conformed to my image. So we are to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ. See the world through his eyes. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what he's saying is he has predestined us for salvation in Jesus Christ. And as we walk in that salvation, we are to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's our job as Christians. That is our life's work, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's how we learn from him, looking at him in his word and striving to live as he would live. Now learn from me another way. How do we do that? The work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot learn who Christ is. We cannot see who Christ truly is unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our spirits to see who Christ is. So the Holy Spirit is what enables us to do these things. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He was teaching this to the apostles. They didn't understand what was happening. 
until after Christ rose from the dead and ascended, then the Holy Spirit started showing them, wait, all these things now make sense. And that's what he does to us. You see? Romans 8, 26 through 27, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is the beauty of being in Christ. He tells us to be conformed to his image. He tells us to pray without ceasing. But we can't even pray properly. He even does that for us through the leading of his Holy Spirit. We're seeing the grace of God, the mercy of God, the perfection of God's plan worked out. But you're never going to see it clearly if you think you contribute anything to it. Everything you contribute originally came from God. Every good gift come down, comes down from heaven. That's what the Bible tells us, you see? And he says, gentle and humble in heart. What does he mean by that? God, the King, our Creator, who we've sinned against and rebelled against, came and he was lowly and humble in heart when he was a human on earth. And he, he became that for us. And in him, we find rest for our souls. So we have to strive in being conformed to his image to be gentle and humble in heart. Humanistic thinking says, watch out for number one. Be competitive. Be the best. Defeat everyone else. But we understand in Christ that that gets you nowhere. It's futile. And true victory is only when you humble yourself before the Lord. And you're gentle before him. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's striving to be conformed to Christ's image. And he says, and you will find rest for your soul. So now we're getting to the crux of the message again. And if you do these things, you will find rest for your souls. The one thing that can save mankind is the one thing that mankind rejects. All of the struggles and turmoil of the human race traces back to lost and restless souls, dead in sins and trespasses and in rebellion to God. That is the core issue that has infected humanity since the beginning of time. And this is why my job really is so simple. I have people contact me constantly with addiction problems or this problem or that problem. Those things are so easy to deal with from a Christian perspective because they're all answered with the same answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever struggle you're dealing with, whatever issue that you're having in life, the gospel addresses everything. It seems simplistic. It seems too general. It's the way it is. Mankind struggles because they've got the, we've got the simplest answer in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but human history is really nothing more than an attempt of humanistic teaching to try every way to make ourselves better other than the one way that will work, and that is the way of Jesus Christ. That's really what it comes down to. If you look at every war, everything that's happened, it's all answered in Jesus Christ. Like I've said before, if you look at what's going on in the world now and the turmoil that America is in, you can solve every one of those problems, bring us back to a time of peace and joy and prosperity through the gospel of Jesus Christ and practicing what Jesus taught through the Sermon on the Mount. It's that simple. But humanity will never do it because it's totally contrary to natural human nature. 
And then the Lord says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before believing, we were discontented. We were heavily burdened. We were weighed down by sin and the toilsome works aimed at obtaining our own righteousness. Now, as believers, we rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and our salvation is guaranteed. Our works pour forth by God's grace through faith like rivers of living water. Our works are fueled not by anxious striving for merit and standing before God, which is futile, but from joy, love, gratitude, passion for the Lord and his gospel, humble obedience to him. That's how our works pour forth. And this is where you got to understand the difference between God's economy and the world's economy. The world's economy is based on lack and need, meaning there's not enough resources to go around. So things become higher and higher priced and people suffer who can't get those things. People hold on to things because they're afraid if they lose those things, there's nothing to take their place. That's the world economy. God's economy is directly contrary to that. God's grace increases as, it is, as it's expended. You see, if you've got $10,000 in the bank and you blow that $10,000, you've got to work to replace it. If you have a massive supply of God's grace and you're pouring that grace out to others into the world, it increases. We have more grace. You see? Fascinating way to look at it. The more you give in Christ, the more you're given in Christ. That's why he says, he who has little will have it taken away, and he who has more will be given more. He who has much will be given much. Will even be given what the little, what was taken from those who had little. Expend yourself in the cause of Christ. Expend yourself in the cause of the gospel. You know, I've told people I, I hate that word retirement. I get these because I'm I'm 56. I get these these things in the mail from from ARP, you know, the American Association of Retired People, and I always throw them away. I think, why would I ever want to consider myself retired? A Christian should look at themselves as just wearing themselves on the battlefield of the gospel for the gospel, wearing themselves out in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite pastor, he died at like 54 or 55 years old really from exhaustion because he just worked constantly in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he did it joyfully. He had other health issues as well, but even in spite of the warnings of his friends and family telling him maybe he should slow down, take more breaks, he just kept going, you see? And all the great Christians down through history have had that attitude, zeal and fervency for the Lord. Be that way for him. You see, because the more grace you pour out, the more grace you're going to be given. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, this is one of those scriptures that false teachers have been taking out of context for centuries. The Roman Catholic Church loves to use this and say, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So they say, because... Uh, you have to do works in order to have faith. It's, it's not saying that. What Paul's telling us is if you have a faith that is alive and vibrant and true, it will pour forth in works. If your faith is dead and artificial and fake, if you don't truly believe in Christ or you believe in a false Christ, you have no works. Your faith is dead. Your works are dead. So a true, vibrant faith in Jesus Christ will pour forth 
poured forth, sorry, in vibrant and lively works for him. You see? Beautiful thing to understand. Wayne Grudem says, in fact, unbelievers are not pleasing to God if for no other reason, simply because their actions do not proceed from faith in God or from love to him. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. He's referring to 11.6 in his book, Systematic Theology. What he's talking about is if you are doing works to try to earn your way to heaven, to try to make yourself a better person, to try to accumulate some of your own righteousness, even if you say you're doing it in the cause of the gospel, but you're truly not, those, those works are, are are worthless and they're not pleasing to God. The works that are pleasing to God are done because they, they pour forth from faith by God's grace. That's the way we have to go through this life. Very important to understand. Let's look at these two work, these two verses. John 3 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. God is the inspiration. God is the initiator of all our good works. And Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says elsewhere in scripture that our good works were planned before the foundation of the world. So all the things we do in the service of the Lord, those were all laid out and planned before we even came about. Think about that. That's how powerful and perfect God's grace is working through us. So I'll close with this. Do you not have the rest that is only in and through Jesus Christ? Now is the day. Do not harden your heart. Hear his gospel. Listen to his voice. Come to the cross. Lay down your burden. Believe in him. Trust in him and follow him and rest in peace. If you don't have that peace that you can only have in Jesus Christ, if you're still struggling, there's no reason to. Come to Christ. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Place your faith and trust in Christ. And understand that he nailed your sin debt to the cross. He canceled it. It no longer exists. He's done away with it. But you have to place your faith and your trust in him to claim that. You see? Very, very important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the gospel and the truths and the promises that you give us in your word. Uh, and Lord, these are times that could weigh us down or they're times that could inspire us. If we look back at world history, we see that your church blossoms and shines brighter uh, during times of challenge and struggle and persecution. And really, if you look at what we're going through and you compare it to things that other Christians have gone through historically, these times are not that bad. They're confusing, they're infuriating, and we can't make sense of things because truth has been cast aside in our society. Uh, the majority of our society seems to uh, not care what truth is or to, uh, that there's any, uh, they have no idea that there is a ultimate standard of truth, which is your word. And so they just make it up. And for those that strive to abide in truth, which is you, that can frustrate us. But we have to understand that everything happens according to your will and your pleasure. Everything is ordained by you. So these things are happening for a reason. And Lord, I pray that you'd give everyone that hears this and that is hearing this strength to not be conformed to this world, 
to not give in to lies, to stand on their principles, to make a stand for the gospel, and to do their best to bring forth good works that have been initiated by you and in you and through you. Guide us in the coming week. Please help us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Lord, uh, like I said last week, folks, um, our trip to Kenya is about a month away. Um, there's so much work to do there. Uh, we really want to try to get water filters into as many homes as we can. We want to provide more Bibles. Um, I've got days lined up where I'm going to be preaching to all of our churches there. And uh, what I'm really excited about is the time I'm going to be spending with our church pastors and leadership. Uh, one of the things that constantly weighs on me is the fact that Africa is inundated with false teachings. Uh, the Bethel movement, New Apostolic Reformation, the Pentecostal, uh, you know, charismatic movements that are leading people astray are just pouring forth all over the world. And we are making a very concerted effort to fight back against that. So my, my point from a ministry, my goal from a ministry standpoint on this trip is to edify and strengthen our pastors and our leaders in doctrine as much as humanly possible, beyond what's humanly possible, because God will be doing it. Um, when I am there, I really want to spend time teaching these guys more on uh, Reformed theology uh, core Christian doctrines, the importance of understanding the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and what it is to adhere to the narrow path. Our pastors are striving to do that, but it's still something we have to always be concerned about because we are in a world where anybody in Christian ministry is constantly being buffeted by the world, tempted to go astray. Um, so I really want to just spend so much time in valuable uh, teaching and, and preaching and grounding these guys in doctrine when I'm there on this trip. Uh, but like I said before, we usually have four or five months to plan a trip. This one we put together in like a month and a half, two months. So we're very short on budget. We need as much help as we can get. So I'd ask you to, to please prayerfully consider supporting the work that we're doing. And to do so, all you have to do is go to our website, the way, the letter R122.org. There's a donate page on there. Um, or if you'd like to send checks, you can send them to our address, which is P.O. Box 1401. Uh, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. But please consider helping us. And uh, if you have any questions for me, please email me at chat at the way, the letter R122.org. And until next week, God bless you guys. And we will be back here same time, same place. See ya.